Welcome to the Debit This, Credit That podcast with Wheeler Accountants, located in San Jose, California. In this podcast, we discuss how to solve accounting challenges in both your personal life and your business. We take an energetic, tech-savvy approach to solving accounting challenges that steal your focus and your time. Now, on to the show with your tech-savvy accounting experts, Matt Wheeler and Michael Bryant. All right, welcome to episode 28 of the Debit This, Credit That podcast by Wheeler Accountants with your hosts, Matt Wheeler and Michael Bryant. Today, we're going to talk about a super exciting topic, lease accounting from a lessee perspective. We can't wait to dive right in, but real quick before we do that, I do want to touch on the Dan Cantor Foundation, which I've mentioned several times. Uh, Dan Cantor Foundation is a 501c3 charity that I'm deeply involved with as a board member and volunteer. Our charity focuses on helping young adults with cancer ages 18 to 35. You know, you're out, you kind of start work on your own, you're spreading your wings and getting away from your family, and then you get this cancer diagnosis that hits. You don't have any savings. Your family may not have the resources, financial or otherwise, to support you. And insurance does not cover everything that you need to be able to pay for for your treatment. So what our charity does is help bridge that gap and pay for a lot of the expenses that is not covered by insurance. Anything from rent to grocery bills, utility bills, travel to and from your treatment, which can be significant for some people. There are people that drive three, four hours to come to the hospital and stay to get their treatment. And sometimes they need to have overnight lodging near the hospital parking. Insurance doesn't cover any of that kind of stuff. And while insurance covers a lot of the major items, it does not cover a bunch of the small things that really make a big difference by relieving that stress from the cancer patient where they can focus more on their treatment and getting better and not have to worry about some of these small costs. So what we do is we focus on trying to help financially those, those individuals bridge the gap on the cost not covered by insurance. We've helped over 300 financial recipients We've given away over $500,000. We've raised over a million. We've also given away $150,000 towards some clinical trials at USC focused on non-invasive cancer treatments. I actually read something just last night on this new treatment using the heavy metal iridium where they're trying to use that to target cancer cells and they can actually activate it with basically like a laser that will then destroy just the cancer cells but keep the healthy cells alive. So there's amazing new treatments like that that aren't you know, the nuke of the entire body chemo treatment that a lot of people go through. So we're trying to help fund some of those clinical trials to get those treatments moving forward to really help folks out. So please support the foundation if you can. Again, it's named Dam Cancer, www.dam-cancer.org. Dam is D-A-M, stands for David Andrew Madden. We're on the on the web and social media, at Dam Cancer on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Dam underscore cancer. We're also on Facebook. So please consider supporting the charity. It means a lot. And if you put a little note in your donation, we make it online that you heard about it in the podcast. It'd be very helpful as well. So we know that this is working. So now we'll talk about lease accounting. So there's been some new changes, right? And these aren't super recent. These happened a little while ago, but they're going to be coming up and impacting companies here in the next few years. Can, can you just give us the high level you know, explain it like I'm five years old overview on what these changes are and what's going on. Can you do it in one sentence? <laughs> oh, I wish I could do it in one sentence. That, that would be a serious challenge. But 
I have been getting a lot of questions from my clients lately about lease accounting. The, the proposed changes to the standards came out in 2016. And really, the overarching goal of this is to get those operating leases onto the ballot sheet. So there you go. So what's an operating lease? And Michael, explain it like I'm a total idiot. <laughs> I know nothing about accounting. Yeah, so an operating lease is going to be, you know, at a really basic level, you're renting something, right? And then you're going to be giving it back. And so previously, what was happening was in an operating lease, you would not record that liability or the right to use that asset. So you would just be recording the expense as incurred. And so the, the overarching goal of this new standard is to make sure that that's reflected on the balance sheet as a liability and as a right to use that asset. Okay, so in operating lease, you're renting it, you're, you're recognizing, you're like on a pay-as-you-go kind of plan in terms of the financial side, you're reporting it where you record the expense as you make the payments, right? But there's... There's nothing indicative in the financial statements of like any future obligations on that, even though it's real, right? Like a schedule of payments in the future, you're going to have to make these because you signed on to rent, you know, this asset for a period of time or whatever. But under the old way, you didn't have to worry about the future stuff. You just recorded the payments as they went. And now they're talking about showing the use of the asset as well as the associated liability, you know, that schedule of future payments you got to make on the balance sheet. Versus before, that was a footnote kind of item. It was a footnote item. And a lot of analysts would go in and add back that liability and and take that out of the the footnotes and and make that part of their analysis. So this will just make it a lot easier to compare companies. There's the famous example of FedEx versus UPS. And UPS utilizes a lot of operating leases for their planes. So when you look at their their debt ratios, when you're comparing FedEx to UPS, well, it looks like, wow, one of them doesn't have that much debt. But that's because they've structured their their leases as operating leases and they're keeping them off the balance sheet. That makes sense. So it's like you, you look better because you can hide it through an operating lease. Basically. <laughs> yeah, the, go, the goal is not to be hiding those leases, to make sure that they're they're recorded on that on the balance sheet and there will be some additional disclosure that's required as well. So the accounting board came out with these new standards. When do they take effect and when do people need to start making these changes in the way they do their financial reporting? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to really focus this on our clients. So most of our clients are lessees, and all of our clients are non-public companies. So when I'm speaking for the rest of this podcast, I'm really referring to a lessee perspective and a non-public company. And so for a non-public company, those will be effective for fiscal years beginning after December 15th, 2019. So in practicality, if you have a December 31st year end, this will be effective for you December 31st, 2020. For that. So we still have a few more years. So. We, we still have a few more years, but again, I've, I've been getting a lot of questions because it is coming up and for public companies that will be implemented in this year. And so there, there's more questions and I thought, oh, let's get out in front of this and, and address this now. And if you're, if you're a real small company, 
and you don't have to do any reporting on, on a gap basis. Are you going to have to worry about any of this currently? You know, if you have a, a small company with a couple employees and you're, you know, half a million in revenue or something, are you worrying about recording your lease on the balance sheet's impact anything? No, this is, this is only applicable to companies that are required to report under GAAP. So if they have a requirement to have a review or an audited financial statements and those are GAAP financial statements, then that's when this would be applicable to them. And it's also not going to impact the tax, obviously, but the company as well. So this is going to be a financial reporting change. Right. So it, it would just be another gap to tax difference. So you can start doing it for the year ending 12-31-20, basically, for most, most companies that are affected here. Can you start sooner? You can start sooner, but... I don't see that really happening, and there's a couple of reasons why. First off, the, the transition process is going to be a large undertaking, especially for those that have a lot of leases, because the lease agreements will have to be read. All of the information will be need, needed to be gathered. And then really looking at, at those payment terms and, and making sure that it's properly recorded on the, the balance sheet. And then the second reason that early adoption may not be advisable is just the addition of the, the new assets will cause a return on asset measurement decline. And the return on asset is a measurement that investors do look at. So I, I, don't, I don't see any real need to implement early. So is the, is the change then going to negatively affect a lot of financial ratios, basically, and so you want to wait as long as possible? It will. And so so I think that if, if all companies adopt at the same time and not early implement, it, there won't be any of those confusions like, whoa, did they implement the, the lease standards when they're, when they're looking at comparing financial statements? And I imagine there's no current year like a P&L charge is going to happen when this happens. It's going to be mostly a balance sheet transaction. There will be, when it is implemented, there will be a, an accounting, a change in accounting standards and there will be disclosure and the, the standards do allow you to record in the current period. So there may be some P&L hit. There, there may be some, some P&L when, when the application is done. But the nice thing is that they just recently came out and said that, that you won't have to do a full retrospective. So that means that you won't have to look back two years and look at leases that may have already expired. So you can just do it in the, in the current period and just apply to, to those leases that are in effect during that year. Okay. I mean, so, so Michael, you're saying you, you will be want to wait to implement as long as possible until you really have to. But I imagine there's some value in doing the legwork to get ready so you're not scrambling in that year when you're doing your 2020 audit in 2021. And now you're delaying, you know, issue of your financial statements because you haven't done the legwork on, on what you need to do to record it properly by that time. Absolutely. And and that is the key to basically implementation of any new standard. We've seen it in the revenue recognition standards that we've talked about previously. And really doing that legwork now, gathering those leases, understanding what what you're signing up for in for future years. So when you're entering into a new lease, what is that going to look like under the new lease standard? And just making sure that you have that very well documented 
and you do the analysis up front. So what's the legwork going to entail? I mean, obviously you're going to need to gather all your lease agreements currently operating and capital and otherwise and get them all in one place. And then you're going to start developing some schedules to on like a, you know, expiration and teacher obligations and that kind of stuff? Or what are some of the things you're going to need to be getting ready? Yeah, there's certainly a, a lot of details in the standard. It is 191 pages. But overall, definitely gathering all lease agreements. So any type of lease agreement that is greater than 12 months long uh, needs to be analyzed. And looking at what the terms are in that lease agreement and if there are any additional things outside of, say, the right to use, like maintenance or, or other types of services that are included, those can be carved out of, of the lease. And then looking at the, the payment terms and whether they need to be straight line and looking at what the accounting is for each of the specific items in that, in that lease agreement. Okay. Is, is there any sort of materiality threshold or are there exemptions where you don't need to adhere to these new lease standards? So it's funny that the International Accounting Standards Board did put in some materiality around $5,000. Unfortunately for generally accepted accounting principles in the United States of America, there is no materiality. But as I had mentioned, if the lease is less than 12 months, then there is no need to follow the new standard. And so you would just expense that lease as, as incurred. But there's no materiality. I mean, if we're looking at a company where they have their Pitney Bowes postage meter and they're paying $110 a quarter or something on that for like a two-year lease, we're going to need to worry about doing that. I mean, our fees alone are going to cost way more than just figuring all that stuff out than than the actual recording of the lease. Yeah, so practically speaking, FASB does say that there is no materiality for that. There, we do have materiality as an auditor, and we would probably not be looking at that Bitnipo's lease that was for two years. However, under the standards, that is required to be analyzed and uh, a right of uh, use asset be recorded as well as the liability. But when you're being audited, the auditor is going to consider that in their overall materiality threshold for the entire audit, basically. Yeah, more, more than likely your, your auditor would consider that as materiality. But again, the standard does not carve out anything for materiality. There, there are some other really specific uh, exemptions, including like leases of intangible assets, leases to explore for or use minerals, oils, gas, some biological assets such as plants and animals, leases of inventory, and then leases of assets under construction. So if, uh, if those are things that our clients are looking at, then there, there's more guidance that, that can be followed that would be outside of the um, AS, ASC 842 which is our lease standard. So there's some specific industry exemptions. There are some specific ones where they call back to to other guidance to follow. But the bottom line is there's no materiality. (laughs) There is no materiality. The road to hell is paved with accounting standards. (laughs) (laughs) And good intentions. Absolutely. Good intentions are, are definitely there. Can you give a little bit of overview on 
difference between capital and operating lease? And is there going to be a difference in the way those are recorded under the new standards? Yeah, so actually the concept of, of a capital lease is, is going away. So it's now going to be referred to as a finance lease. So we have an operating lease and we have a finance lease. And so on the balance sheet, that's going to look very similar. We're going to have, we're going to record the right to use asset. And then we're going to have a lease liability. So in either the, the operating or the finance lease or on the balance sheet, it's going to be recorded on there. Um, the difference is, is how it's recorded in the P&L, the profit and loss statement or the income statement. So for a finance lease, the interest expense is going to be determined using the effective interest method. And we'll get into a little bit more details on that. And then the amortization is recorded for the right to use asset over the period of the lease. And so these will be broken out separately. And, and then the, the corresponding cash payments will then decline over the, the lease term as the lease liability is reduced. And then the interest and amortization expense should generally be stated separately. Now, on the income statement for the operating lease, all of that's just going to be recorded as lease expense. Okay, so there is a little bit of a difference. Yeah, it, and again, it, it's really how it's reflected in the income statement. Hope your listeners are still awake after the explanation. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, operating and finance lease. Well, I, I can maybe break that down in a little bit more detail on, on how to record an operating lease. And so I'll try to do a, a really simple example and hopefully um, our listeners can follow along with this. So let's, in our example, have a company that is going to lease a server for uh, three years. And the rent on, on that is $1,700 a month for 36 months. So the total amount of lease payments that are going to be paid is $61,200. Under the current accounting standards, this is considered an operating lease as the present value of the payments is less than 90% of the fair value of the asset and is accounted for as an off-balance sheet transaction. So the, the typical operating lease. And by the way, we still follow the, the present value. So if it's less than 90%, that would be considered an operating lease versus a finance lease. Under the new standards, the lease should be capitalized and reported as a right to use asset and liability on the balance sheet. We're going to use an incremental borrowing rate of 5.5% because in most leases, the the actual finance rate is just included in there and it's not able to be determined. So we're going to use the, the borrower's uh, incremental rate. And we'll do the present value of those rental payments and that would come out to $56,557. And that would be the amount that would be capitalized on the balance sheet. So the, the leasee would then do an initial balance sheet asset and they would debit the right to use leased asset and then credit capitalized lease obligation. And as mentioned on the P&L, we would just record the total amount paid, which would be the 20400 which would be one year's annual payments. And we would also record the amortization of the right to use asset 
and reduce our liability at the same time. So, so we're just talking basically about a present value calculation here where, you know, you have a schedule of future payments. It's, you know, on our example around $50,000, but we're going to record an asset at 50 something and change because a dollar spent tomorrow is not the same as a dollar spent today. And we're going to impute this underlying interest Correct. rate. There's an imputed interest that would be calculated now. And so under the old standards, we're talking about just recording a steady rent expense every period on the P&L is going to be consistent for three years under this lease scenario versus, and the new standards are going to be recording part amortization on the asset, right? And then part interest expense. Is that what's so, going on? No, under the, the operating lease, it's still going to be a straight line lease expense. The, the goal there was to make sure that we're reflecting a, a right to use asset and that corresponding liability on the balance sheet. So it, it will still be a lease expense and it is still straight line over, in our example, the three-year period. But you're you're breaking it out into amortization and interest, basically. You you are, but you're presenting it in in the profit and loss statement as one line item. But you're 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 recording the the reduction, basically the amortization on the balance sheet. So you're going to reduce your your right to use asset, and you're also going to be reducing your liability. I see. Okay. Which was your present value of of your lease payments. So ultimately, is it going to show as less expense every period then, or when does the difference get true up? So it, it actually is going to show as lease expense. So in, in our example, we're going to straight line our lease expense. It's $20,000 $20, or $20,400 every year. That's what's going to show up in, in the P&L. And there would be no change from under current standards that would still show up as what would be in, in the P&L. The difference is, is that you're going to be then debiting your, your liability and crediting your right to use asset to reduce it by, by the amortization amount. So P&L is going to look the same. I'm having a hard time understanding what the whole point is other than it is now showing on the balance sheet. And I guess it's it's not showing at the exact schedule of future payments. It's showing at this present value amount. The, the, the whole reason for it is to record that right to use asset and the corresponding liability, and it is at the present value amount. And so that, that was really just to get that off the balance sheet. So the P&L reflection is, is the same under the new standard as the old standard. I'm feeling really good about our job security. <laughs> These changes. <laughs> it, I know. Rules to keep us employed. It, it does seem like they continue to layer on. There, there's also additional disclosures that that are required around the lease standard. And yes, it's it's quite complex. But I think that that the real objective of of getting the operating leases onto the balance sheet does make sense. It makes it much easier to compare. Um, companies and whether they're they're utilizing an operating lease or they're they're using a finance lease that would have already been on recorded on the balance sheet or if they're just using debt to to purchase assets it just makes it much more comparable when you're looking at the balance sheet and doing the ratios yeah i mean that makes them i mean ultimately we're talking about better information for investors and business owners to make better business decisions and 
you're kind of leveling the playing field among different companies and it is providing more accurate information and I'm sure we'll all adapt and kind of get used to how to record the new stuff. But. <laughs> that, that's absolutely the goal is just more transparency. Right. Quote makes sense, you know, although it's going to be a lot, of, a lot of work for a lot of clients. It will be a lot of work for a lot of clients. And, and again, I'm stressing the, to my clients now, let's be looking at this. Make sure that you're starting to gather the leases when you're signing new leases that are going to extend into this period to understand what the recognition is going to look like when they do have to, to implement the standard. What if you have an option on a lease? How's that going to play into the scenario? In, like what, an option to extend or renew? Is that going to be recorded assuming you're going to exercise the option then or it's not going to be a, a sure thing until the option is executed? It wouldn't be a sure thing until the option is executed. And I'm, I'm imagining that you're talking about in an operating lease example. Right. Correct. So, yeah, once once the option is, is executed, then you would record that. What, what are the disclosure requirements involved here, like with financial statement footnotes and everything? What are you going to be including now in your in your financials to help explain some of this information to the investors? So, so it's it is more extensive disclosures, and it's really intended to enable the users of the financial statements to really understand the amount, the timing, and the judgments related to the reporting. That the lease standard requires disclosure on both qualitative and quantitative information about the leases. So we'll definitely see some expansion in, in the disclosures. But again, it, it's really back to the concept of they, they're looking for more transparency and, and how, how these things were determined. Okay. You mentioned a little while ago about some non-lease components built in there, like maintenance or service or some of that kind of stuff. How, how are those things carved out, as you said, from the, from the under the new standards yes yeah, so under lease contracts they they may contain non-lease components such as maintenance under the the standard the components should be separated out however in in march of 2017 they they implemented a, a practical expedient meaning that it does not necessarily from a lessee perspective have to be separated out so you wouldn't have to allocate you know, if you have a lump sum operating lease that includes the maintenance, you'd have to allocate out what you think that value of the maintenance is. So this practical expedient require or allows you to just all include that all as part of the lease. And um, for for the companies to do that, they would need to have an election in their accounting policy to just say, hey, we understand that there might be service parts in, in our lease agreement, but we're going to classify that all as the lease. However, it should be noted that this election will increase the total lease liability that would be recorded on the balance sheet. I was going to say, I mean, there may be some advantages to carving out because then you have to include it as part of the capitalized asset and the offsetting liability. So your debt ratio is going to look a little better if you do carve that stuff out. If there's enough of the leases or it's a big enough component, you're going to want to do the work to... If it is a big enough component, then I would recommend that, that you look at that and see if you want to break that out. The, the goal was that, you know, if 
we're talking about a copy or a lease or that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> the copy or lease and they're talking about the maintenance on the copier. Exactly. It, it might just be easier just to, to call that all the right of use um, for, for that lease. But again, there may be circumstances where it's going to be to your advantage to go do that work. And if you were going to do that, other procedures or, or uh, rules surrounding how you carve that out? Can you use estimations or kind of make an assumption? I mean, a lot of yeah. times the, the lessor may not be giving up the exact breakdown for you to be able to do that, right? Or yeah, so, th- so there there are some allocation methods. However, I think that, that we're going to see a lot of leases have additional language in them as they are written because a lot of people will be trying to break out the, the maintenance and, and other um, services included in the lease. And so there might be even more transparency just in our lease agreements themselves to break out Okay, what what is the the lease of that equipment? What what is, what's it cost to lease that copier? What's the charge for for the maintenance and the other add-on items? Right. So I I think that we're going to see lease documents change as well, and it might be things that that you'll that our clients will be asking as they're getting into a lease because they're thinking about these new standards. Hey, you know, I, I need a lease agreement that breaks these things out so I can clearly point to what the service portion is versus the the leasing of the, the equipment itself. Okay, good. Um, well, I think that was a pretty good overview on the new lease standards. Is, is there any other points you want to hit before we kind of wrap up here on the new the new lease standards? I mean, other than the fact that basically it's call us yeah that's pretty much what i was going to say is that um you know it the lease standard itself is 191 pages and and there's certainly not enough time to cover all of the details in this podcast please reach out to me if you do have specific questions and and again just to reiterate that getting in front of this and and making sure that you're understanding the the implementation and what it's going to take and, and gathering the documents on, on the front end. And as you're entering into new leases, be considering the new standards because they aren't going to push them out again. Yeah, so reach out to your accountants here at Wheeler Accountants if, you, if you're working with a specific, specific person or go to the Ask Wheeler section on the website, wheelercpa.com, and send us a note if you're curious about the standards and if there's anything we can do to help shed some light on this you know, new standards coming down the pipe. That's all for today's episode of Debit This, Credit That podcast. As always, if you have any questions, you can contact your Wheeler Accountants preparer or submit a question online at our website in the Ask Wheeler section at the bottom of the page. Please remember to follow us on social media for regular updates at Wheeler CPAs and on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thanks for listening as we help you solve for accounting.